untiring view. Hello and welcome to the Caring View podcast. I am one of your hosts, Adam Pennell, and I'm joined by my other host today. Mark Tops. Hello, everybody. I hope you're keeping well. Hello, Mark. Thank you for joining us. And today we're joined by Karen Ritson as well. So this is going to be the first in a series of podcasts around completing the PIR, which is the Provider Information Return. If you follow our YouTube show, you'll know we've had a couple of episodes on the YouTube show now, or we'll be having a couple of episodes around the PIR. But this podcast is designed to be more informative and to really be a lifeline for those who are completing your your PIR um, returns, which you'll be doing on an annual basis as well. So you might be doing it for the first time, you might be doing it for the 15th time. Um, This is really here to guide you. And in podcast format, you can listen to it on the way to work, um, on the way back from work, in the bathtub, whilst you're gardening, cycling, you name it, you'll be able to brush up on your PIR skills. Uh, So before we get started, Karen, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, Yes. Hello, everybody. My name's Karen Ritson. Um, I'm the Director of Outstanding Care Consultancy Limited. And Karen, just before we get into our questions, let's just, um, for for those who are listening who may be new to um, management um, and maybe be, be new to CQC compliance, what is the PIR? Uh, The PIR is um, short for the Provider Information Return uh, and it is uh, a form that CQC will ask providers to fill in on an annual basis which is a combination of some numerical data uh, and also some narrative data uh, where it's your opportunity to demonstrate where you are complying with the regulations and where you're exceeding them. Thank you, Karen. And it is, it once upon a day, it, it was a, a sort of warning sign that CQC were coming and they were going to come in and inspect. And now it's more of an annual thing on, I think it's date of registration that gets sent out now, is it, Karen? Yeah, that's right. Um, it did used to herald the fact that your inspector was preparing um, for the for the on-site visit. Um, and it was part of the preparation of gathering information for them. Uh, now CQC are moving to a different kind of way of um, of inspecting, which is on a more continuous rolling kind of programme. Um, they're hoping that providers will um, fill in the PIR, but that also in the future that will become a portal that providers will be able to just pop extra new information into whenever they Uh, whenever they want to, so that it's a a continually updated document. Brilliant. Thank you for that background, Karen. So without further ado, we're going to get into the nitty gritty now, into the meat of uh, of this episode. And this is the introductory episode. So the the basics of understanding around the PIR. And I'm going to hand over to my co-host, Mark, now to get us started on this conversation. Yes, thank you very much. So Karen, going right back to the kind of basics of the PIR and the CQC, what is the legal basis for the CQC and requesting the PIR and what happens to providers should they fail to complete it? Uh, well, the the legal basis is uh, that CQC requests the PIR under Regulation 17 of the Health and Social Care Act 2008. Uh, regulated activities, uh, the regulations 2014, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, but that's the, that's the kind of legal right that they have to request that information from you. Um, 
it's actually fairly serious consequences if you don't um, send the PIR uh, back. Um, it has um, uh, the effect of limiting your overall rating um, when when CQC produce a report. It's definitely not something uh, to ignore. It's something that you have to fill in and return by law, Mark. Thank you very much. And what would your advice be, um, just thinking if, say, for example, the email from the CQC has gone into the junk mail or it might have gone to, you know, the wrong email address or something, you haven't seen it, but they know about it and it's going to be slightly delayed. What would your advice be for a provider that's kind of cut it short on completing it? Uh, what I would su suggest that uh, you did straight away, and it would be the registered manager or the or the um, nominated individual that would do this, would be to contact CQC straight away because they do have some leeway for circumstances like that. Um, clearly, if you sent the PIR and you just don't do anything about it, that's a different situation, or you leave it till the last minute. Again, that's a, a different situation. But if something happens that's unforeseen, it's worthwhile having a conversation with um, with CQC and with your inspector uh, just to see whether they can uh, extend that deadline a little bit. And they can do that in exceptional circumstances, but it's not something to rely on. So I, I wouldn't think that once you get that, uh, you know, it's fine to go away on holiday and just think I'll do it when it comes back, when I come back. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's a bit late. It's not as casual an approach as that. It, it really needs to be a good reason. Thank you very much. No, it's a, it's a really good point that about the delay and, you know, never be afraid of asking for delay. But like you say, Karen, don't rely on it. It's always nice to try and get it in on the right time. So we've already spoken about what the PIR is, but if you could give us, I don't know, maybe just a, a, a follow up, a little bit more information on why the CQC actually want it, why it is this important, why there is this sort of legal mandate for us to do it. OK, well, it's. It's helping them to prepare for uh, for their for their inspection and ultimately for them to make a judgment about uh, the quality of, of care that you're delivering. So um, they will begin by gathering information that they already hold on their own systems, and the PIR information that as providers send. Um, helps them to start to think about what they need to focus on when they're gathering more information. So if you um, focus on only particular areas in your PIR and there are clear areas of weakness or clear areas where you're not really focusing in, that will be the area that CQC then want to dig a little bit deeper on because it's, it's something that they feel they don't know enough about. So it's helping them where to focus um, it's it's starting to give them an idea about what your rating may be. Obviously, they're not coming to a conclusion about that yet because they haven't seen everything that they need to see. But it starts their thinking in a particular direction about rating uh, for each of the five uh, key questions. Um, so when you think about CQC's new strategy and what they're doing um, going forward, um, their idea of smarter regulation is around uh, perhaps not spending as long on site, particularly in domiciliary care agencies where they may not actually cross the threshold at all. But in residential care homes, they may be um, spending less time as well. And so the PIR is even more important for them to gather information and to start them thinking about where they're going to direct their 
um, their focus of attention. Um, so uh, they'll send you an invite and then um, they'll, they'll invite you to click on a hyperlink so you can get started with that. So is it safe to say then when we are filling out a PIR and we are going to go into the technical questions and, and the layout of the PIR in this series, that it's it's really paramount that we're honest in what we say because they will find out uh, otherwise? Yes, it's it's really important to be as honest and transparent as, as you can be. And in actual fact, if you're honest about some of the things that are difficult, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more uh, later on, um, and then demonstrate that you're aware of those and that you may have some strategies for um, attempting to address them. That actually starts to build um, evidence towards their feeling of confidence that you you know what you need to do. So um, they would be fairly suspicious, I would think, if you were to write that there were absolutely no difficulties and there was nothing that you were needing to address. So I think um, honesty is, uh, is clearly the way forward. And also they can, as you said, they can, they can come in or they can request other information which would corroborate what you've written. Um, and if actually the information and the evidence doesn't corroborate what you've written, then um, it exposes you really. Um, so it's it's definitely a good idea to uh, be as open and honest as you can be. Absolutely. And, you know, we all have to follow and abide by the duty of candle regulations. So, yeah, transparency is key across the board. And, you know, the thing is, if, if you want to kind of lie or tell fibs on it, it's, you're only going to get found out further down the line because the likelihood is that they're going to ask you about those things. But question that just popped into my mind listening to you um, there, Karen, and something I quite often see on some of the registered manager groups and bits and pieces is the PIR link pops into their email um, and there's kind of this mad kind of worry and anxiety for managers to complete it. What would be your um, advice for anybody kind of feeling anxious, stressing about where to start, don't know where to start? What would be your, your advice to those managers? Uh, if if there's a feeling of not knowing where to start, I would definitely just start. <laughs> Click on the hyperlink and have a look through it. You can have a look through it as often as you as you need to or you want to. Um, and also you can begin it. You can begin it and start to fill in a little bit um, and then you can uh, leave it and go back to it. So it's not as if you have to fill the whole thing in all in one go, which would be a very daunting thing to do. Um, just one thing to just to raise about that is that I'm aware that some registered managers and providers have reported to me that uh, when they've been filling in the form sometimes, um, and I think CQC are aware of this, uh, the form isn't always saving the information so that if you go out and then you go back in again, it's not always there. That might be... Um, because of a, an error with CQC, uh, and in that case, it's always worthwhile to keep a copy yourself separately of what you've written. It also might be because you've done something like you've used, you know, your browser back button instead of the button that's within the survey. So it's always worthwhile making sure that um, you, you're using the form in the way that you've been advised to. Uh, but just just do it in small. Um, manageable sections I think is is the way forward and also to get as much advice and to, to work as collaboratively as you can do um, with other people who are within your organisation 
So the registered manager is obviously the person that would most likely to be the person that would be filling the form in. Um, but a lot of people might actually feed information into that. Um, it's, it's just the registered manager or the nominated individual's uh, responsibility to make sure that that is submitted, but they can gather information from lots of other people. Absolutely. And I think that was some really good advice about saving the copy because I have heard many issues with the document not saving and people having to to rewrite it. So and yeah. absolutely with the whole collaboration, you're you're completely right. You know, involve everybody in your team. You know, those frontline care workers are gonna know the people that you're supporting more than anybody else. You know, the cook is gonna know, you know, the dietary requirements of the people you're supporting. So you can call all that information into into your PIR. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it happened to me with uh, a provider just yesterday. We were working on something together, um, uh, filling out the PIR, and then they pressed the back button, the whole lot just disappeared, and we haven't made a copy. So I know from experience that you just then have to start all over again, which can be really frustrating. Definitely. And if you've left it kind of towards the last latter part of the, the time frame that you've got to complete it, then be a mad rush to, to get the rest done. So moving on and looking at some of the technical questions and bits and pieces around filling in the form, which questions are mandatory and which are discretionary? Um, well, the mandatory questions are helpfully marked with a star, so you can see those straight away. Um, and then there are, there are one or two discretionary questions. One of the things I would advise is that you just fill all of them in um it's your opportunity to shine you know it's your opportunity to show cqc the breadth of um the evidence that you have so it might be worthwhile focusing on the mandatory questions first um but they've asked the discretionary questions for a reason anyway um so but but if you're looking just to how to distinguish the two um then um you just look for the star and that'll that will tell you um, shall I go on and, and, and just describe some of the other technical information, which it's important, but it's it's not particularly that interesting, really. It's just stuff you need to be aware of, Mark. Shall I just shall I just go through some of those for you just now? Yes, if you can, that'd be perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So there are things like, um, you know, don't put spaces um, or any characters that you might find in phone numbers. So no hashtags, no actual numbers, don't put hyphens in there, don't use any special characters, so things like, you know, percentage signs or equals or exclamation marks or brackets. And the only reason for that is that um, CQC system doesn't recognise them, so they would just not be transferred across uh, to the form that CQC could see. Um, similarly, don't use bullet points because the system doesn't recognise those either. Um, uh, as we've said, all the changes should automatically save as you go along and you can go back through things. Um, but the, the main things are around anything special or bullet points that you might want to put in that, that would just make it a little bit easier for you to, uh, so it looks better on the page. You really need to leave all of those things out. Uh, once you've done it, you'll get a summary of your answers back, so you can have a quick look through those um, and uh, you know ha have a look and see what you think about those. But the thing to remember is, once you press the submit button, 
that's it, it's gone and you can't get it back. It's a bit like your tax return. So, you know, be absolutely certain that you've, you're happy with your answers before you press submit because that's actually the end of the process and you can't do anything to retrieve it. This is really interesting because one of the questions that I hear asked most by managers who are, you know, encountering the PIR for, like I say, the first or for whatever numbered time is, how should I write my answers? Should it be a narrative? Should it be short sentences? Should it be bullet points? And now you're telling us now we shouldn't be using bullet points. So what's the best way to actually write our answers down in the sections? Is it a narrative or is it using short trigger words to, to get our points across quickly? I think that um, some of the information obviously that is requested is numerical, so that speaks for itself really. You just need to write data. You just It'll ask for a date or it'll ask for a number as an answer. But in the boxes where it's call, calling for a narrative, um, there's an art really to keep that concise because it, it needs to be as brief as you can possibly manage whilst keeping in the information that you need. Um, clearly bullet points are no good. Um, I think that sent full sentences are helpful. Um, it's easy to write information that can be a little bit confusing if you're writing shorthand, even if it's partial sentences. Um, so I would be tempted, and this is just a personal preference really, and what I find works for me and the providers that I've helped, um, write in full sentences, but be very careful and mindful of what you decide that you're going to focus on. Um, you're not going to get everything in. You're going to try, but you know it's it's just not possible to do that. And there's something else about um, you may find that there's a whole narrative box later on in the PIR that's asking for you to expand on a point that you've been desperately trying to shoehorn into a, as part of a, a you know another area. So it's worthwhile reading through before you start so that you're not trying to put everything around for example equality and diversity inclusion all into your successes uh, box which we'll come on to when you then later realize you've got a full 500 words to go out later on about equality and diversity and everything around inclusion that you that, that you can put in there so it's worthwhile being a bit sensible first and looking at what the what the bigger narrative boxes are about um, and focusing and picking on what you're going to do, what you're going to put into that box, um, and and not trying to put too much into it, but writing full sentences. That's what I would suggest. So for someone like me who constantly needs to edit, because if I'm given a 1,000 word, I don't know, guideline for a blog or magazine piece, I usually do start off and I've written in, it's probably like 3,000 words and I need to, to knock it down. How important is it that we stick to those 500 word word limits? Is it a word limit or a character limit? It's 500 words. Um, it's important that you stick to that. Uh, CQC have requested that you do that. Um, partly because, well, some people have actually reported to me that they've been prevented and they've been unable to write anything beyond 500 words. Um, other people have said that they've been able to include far more than 500 words. But in fact, there's no guarantee that CQC would look at it uh, if you did write, say, a thousand words and were able to get that through and save it. Um, because they have to have a consistent and equitable response to everybody's PIR. 
So um, it would be unfair to judge somebody based on a on a thousand word submission if somebody else has managed to stick to the five hundred words. So as an inspector, um, and this is going back some time when I was looking at PIR submissions, if if people had just written reams. I would either contact them separately or I would just cut off off to 500 words and, and say, well, you've had your, your word limit. And if that meant that you'd only got part way into an answer, that would be a shame because it would mean that you'd wasted a lot of effort um, and a lot of evidence um, in a more wordy way than you would have needed it, really. Very much like a most recent episode of Bake Off, where they were asked to bake a certain number of uh, of goodies, and one of the contestants thought they would show off and bake, you know, a good number more of things that weren't asked for. And when it came around to tasting, they were like, "Well, that's nice that you've baked them, but I'm not going to eat them because I didn't ask for it." So it's <laughs> nice that you've given me a thousand words, but I'm only going to read the first five hundred because that's what I've asked for. Yeah, that's right. It's a bit like in exams, isn't it? You know, it's like read the question. Uh, and if you don't read the question and you start to answer something else that you feel confident about, it's not really going to help you, is it? So it's um, it's it's being careful about what uh, what you put in. I think that's the main that's the main point. And that's actually quite a skill, isn't it? It's something that you you need to practice and hone because it's um, uh, there's a lot to consider in which we'll go into a little bit further on as to what you put in and what you leave out. Um, you want to get your best evidence in um, and, you know, you want to squeeze in what you can. But um, there are some things that you really need to focus on. So I think that having a waffle sort of warning button in your head really helps. <laughs> I remember back in my college days, you know, you used to have to write an essay and you would you'd be given a word limit, which seemed impossible. So you would use five words to explain instead of one word. So you would you would bulk it out that way. But it really yeah. is about choosing your words carefully and spending your word limit uh, wisely isn't it so it when it comes, sorry karen when it comes down to examples then because they'll want examples in it how do we how do we do this safely and um how do we anonymize these you know we've got gdpr to think about we've got uh, data protection to think about um i don't want to be going in going joe blogs was really happy because i did this etc 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 so what tips can you give us for creating a sort of um, anonymized chart for ourselves so we know who we've referenced in the PIR? I think that, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with using initials, you know, to help you to jog your memory about who it is you're talking about. Uh, and you can use initials either in the PIR, but you might just want to use your own initials in your own version of what you're, you are submitting. And of course, in your own version of what you're submitting, you can write the name out longhand, as long as you're keeping that confidentially, um, you know, in the way that you would keep anybody's information confidential. Um, and I think that, you know, when you're uh, using anonymized examples, um, again, they need to be to the point uh, and you've got to think clearly about what it is that you're trying to evidence. So if, if I perhaps just give an example, if you were thinking perhaps under safe and you were, you were talking about supporting uh, Brian, you know, some uh, one of the service users that you had to access the community independently and you're trying to evidence positive risk taking, um, you could write very briefly that you used a stepped approach to risk and that you provided him with appropriate easy read road safety information so in one sentence you've included your uh, awareness of the accessible information standard 
um, and that you can you can write that you began by accompanying him and then eventually that he walked alone, crossed the road safely, entered the day centre but without support. So there are things that you can do to cut out um, extra information that's not really helping you towards demonstrating. And I think it's worthwhile thinking, am I actually demonstrating anything by talking about this particular thing? One of the things I often find that staff uh, uh, will cut out uh, after I've suggested it is a lot of packing around how fantastic staff were or how proud they are of staff or how amazing things are because all of that is self-congratulatory and, and actually doesn't really mean anything it's not um, really giving evidence of what you're doing it's just saying we think we're great and a little bit of that's fine but you don't need it as padding you need to say really why the evidence is demonstrating that um, so it's it's always about stripping back. It's about stripping back all the time and being really um, uh, ruthless about what you pull out of that. Thank you very much. And I think there are some really good tips here. And I'm kind of listening and I'm making notes as well because obviously my day-to-day -day job is as a regional business manager. And I, I just wish when I was a registered manager that this kind of resource was around that I had that I could listen to and pull through for when I completed my PIR. And I was I was listening to your you talking about the five hundred words and absolutely wouldn't um, advocate anybody going over that. Um, when it comes to attachments, can people continue on an attachment, or could you reference it in the PIR and say please see attachment one and include loads of attachments? What would your advice be there? It's always a um, a temptation, isn't it, to think oh well I'll just uh, I'll just send them a, you know a whole load of extra stuff. Actually, CQC ask you not to send attachments um, and they can get overwhelmed by pe people sending them too much information. And we all know what happens, don't we, when, when we get overwhelmed with information, we just don't read it. And I think it's just not helpful to send attachments and also they've asked you not to do that. So I wouldn't send any attachments. I would wait for them to contact you if they want to hear any more about anything or there's any questions they have, they will they'll let you know and they'll ask specifically for that information so don't send attachments um leave it do what they've asked you to do and then wait to see whether they contact you thank you very much i think yeah i think it would be so easy wouldn't it just to be like we've had these great examples or these great compliments from you know stakeholders or relatives let's ping them across when it comes to the 500 word count how is best to kind of get all of that information into such a small kind of area i know you've spoken about actually looking at the different sections within the pir cross-referencing and see where where it best fits if you've got somebody that thinks actually they've run out of the word count and they really want to include one or two more bits of information but they just don't have room i would go back over what you've written um and it, there will definitely always be ways in which you can you can cut bits out um, it may be that your sentences are too long. It may be that you're slightly repeating yourself. Uh, when you reread what you've written, you if it's the if it's the second time you've looked through something, there'll always be a way of being able to cut down uh, something that um, is not exactly won't always waffle, but it might be that you've just said something 
twice really in two different ways because we we all do that sort of thing don't we oh we've left our sentences to go on and on and on and and actually you know when you read through it you've run out of breath so i think it's just being disciplined with yourself to go back through uh, it may be that you've chosen to try and put in too many examples uh, and sometimes you can use one example that's killing two birds with one stone so you can condense examples into one uh, and there's no reason why you shouldn't do that so long as you get all the information across um, in as concise a way as you can. So I don't think there's an easy way of doing it, Mark. I think you just need to to look through it and check and take out what you don't need. I think all of these, Karen, have been absolutely um, invaluable tips and I think it's been a great introduction to what the PIR actually is. And I would just add, you know, it, well, not only would I get someone to read through my PIR, um, you know, a colleague of mine, a deputy, um, someone in my team, just to go, you know, can you give this a, a proofread, make sure uh, I'm not using anything superfluous here, can you try and help me cut it down? But I also think it would benefit to get your team involved um, where possible, because they're the ones providing the care as well. And they could be going, actually, you know, we do this as well, and you've not included this. And maybe this should be there as the example, because it proves our, I don't know, our human rights approach better than this example that you've used. Um, so really get your team involved. But I think what I'm getting from you, Karen, on this so far is just read what CQC want from you and listen to what they want from you and don't give them anything other. Um because uh, they just they won't they won't take anything anything more and that's understandable but i think it also shows your listening skills doesn't it you know if cqc our regulator are asking you for something just do it anything different is just to them showing that either you don't listen or you, you don't follow uh, the regulation and the guidance yeah i think that's what it is really yes and it's not effective is it it's not effective use of your time or, or, or your effort or focus um, so a bit of discipline of uh, doing that, I think, and, and I completely agree with what you said, Adam. I think, you know, if you get other people involved, don't think that it's all down to one person. One person has the responsibility to send the form back, uh, but a lot of people can be involved in creating quality information. Brilliant. Well, look, that was episode one of our PIR um, podcast series. Um, there are going to be a good number of episodes. We've only just scratched the surface and, you know, we've not even started on the bulk of the answers of the PIR yet. So please do make sure you subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, um, you name it. Um, but go to our website, www.thecaringview.co.uk. You can listen directly from there um, and access all of our blogs and other resources. Karen, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on this episode. I can't wait to catch up to you um, for episode two. And Mark, as always, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you, Karen. Good to hear. Thanks. We'll see you in episode two. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Caring View. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as various podcasting sites. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and share to become part of the conversation.